Angie has made it easier than ever to connect with skilled professionals to get all your jobs projects done well. If you own a home, you know how much work it can take, whether it's everyday maintenance and repairs or making dream projects a reality. It can be hard just to know where to start, but now all you need to do is Angie that and find a skilled local pro who will deliver the quality and expertise you need. Angie has over 20 years of home service experience, and they've combined it with new tools to simplify the whole process. Bring them your project online or with the Angie app, answer a few questions, and Angie can handle the rest from start to finish or help you compare quotes from multiple pros and connect instantly, which means you can take care of just about any home project in just a few taps. Because when it comes to getting the most out of your home, you can do this when you Angie that. Download the free Angie mobile app today or visit Angie.com. That's A-N-G-I dot com. You can live out your MasterChef dream. When you find a professional on Angie to tackle your dream kitchen remodel. Connect with skilled professionals to get all your home projects done well. Inside to outside. Repairs to renovations. Get started on the Angie app or visit Angie.com today. You can do this when you Angie that. Angie's list is now Angie, and we've heard a lot of theories about why. I thought it was an eco-move. Fewer words, less paper. No, it was so you could say it faster. No, it's to be more iconic. Must be a tech thing. But those aren't quite right. It's because now you can compare upfront prices, book a service instantly, and even get your project handled from start to finish. Sounds easy. It is. And it makes us so much more than just a list. Get started at Angie.com. That's A-N-G-I. Or download the app today. Welcome back, friend. I know what y'all are thinking, and I'm sorry to report that no, Billy Blanks has not agreed to fight me as of yet. I did do some research on the guy, and apparently he's 68 years old now. So I'll give you this, Billy. You can have the first punch. How's that? It's more than fair, Chester. And I can't even do a split yet. But I'm getting there, by God. The offer stands. Well, come on in, friend. You didn't come here to see me showboat. That's right. Mmm. All right, that's better. Friends, smoke them if you got them, and drink those glasses to the bottom, because old Drew Blood has a tale to tell. Oh, hey. I didn't see you there. You know... Drew Bloodstark Tales is only one of the many shows on this network you could be listening to. We hope you'll subscribe to our entire lineup, including Chilling Tales for Dark Nights, Scary Stories Told in the Dark, Fear from the Heartland, and Horror Hill. All available on YouTube or your favorite podcast platform. Also, visit simplyscarypodcast.com to become a patron. For as little as $5 a month, you get our entire catalog ad-free and available to download or stream. A bargain. And now, back to the show. 
So tonight we're joined by our good friend P.D. Williams, fan favorite and somewhat touched author of Dark House, Many Rooms, and longtime guest on your favorite podcast, pronounced P.D. Williams. But thank you, Jeff. Fuck it. Who you can hear more from in numerous past episodes. This one's a case for entrepreneurial capitalism. So without further delay, I give you, from author P.D. Williams, Madame Ona's Shop of Curiosities. Blair's Story God, I can't take this anymore. Blair sat up in bed, wrapping her arms around her middle as if she were keeping her insides from exploding through her stomach. The pain was worsening. Despite the ultrasounds, lab work, x-rays, and countless consultations, there had been no conclusive diagnosis for her searing abdominal pain. No tumors, no tissue scarring, no disease, no luck. By her ninth second opinion, she had all but given up hope of ever going back to her life as it was. The life before the sickness had ravaged her world. The pain meds were barely working anymore. Useless pills, she thought. I wonder, how many would it take? There'd been a time in Blair's not-so-distant past when the idea of ending her life would have been unthinkable. Now it felt like a reasonable option. An escape plan. Enough. This ends tonight, she promised herself. First, she somehow had to make it to the medicine cabinet for the pills. It might as well have been a hundred miles away. The trip to the bathroom was nearly intolerable when she was having a good day. But tonight, the thought of making the journey bordered on the cruel and terrifying. One more trip. Just one last try. Then it'll be over, she thought. Blair tried to make the trek in manageable stages. First, she needed to stand up. She inhaled deeply and swung her legs over the side of the bed. The discomfort wasn't as bad as she'd feared. Next, she rocked forward a few times and, when ready, stood up. Oh, my God! Blair felt as though she had swallowed a dose of lightning. Her joints stiffened. Tears of pain fell from her tired eyes. She took in short snippets of air through her nostrils, as if they could somehow dilute the agony. After a bit, the pain subsided enough for her to continue. Blair cried as she contemplated the most challenging part of the journey, the walk to the bathroom. Please, give me just a bit more strength. Just a little more. I'm begging you. Grunting with each step, she inched closer toward the place wherein her salvation lay. By the time Blair got to the bathroom, she was exhausted. She placed her hands on each side of the sink, bracing herself up. She gasped when she looked in the mirror. The fit and trim woman who used to weigh a healthy 120 pounds was now an 80-pound scarecrow. Her skin, sallow and sagging, seemed too heavy for her frame to bear. Her bulging eyes looked like two grotesque orbs straining to break free of their skeletal cage. 
Although she grieved for the woman she once was, she was too spent to cry anymore. Blair opened the medicine cabinet and looked at the pharmacy that now inhabited it. She spotted the hydromorphone and plucked it from the stack of other medications the doctors had prescribed. She looked at the bottle as if it were a loaded gun. Her resolve began to wane. It's like ripping off a band-aid, she thought. Just do it quickly and be done with it before you change your mind. Blair popped the lid and she took four tablets into her palm, twice the normal dose. To be safe, she added two more. She filled one of the small plastic cups beside the sink, threw the pills toward the back of her throat, and took the full shot of water. Blair sat on the edge of the bathtub, waiting for the pain to lessen enough for her to return to bed. Within minutes, she became lightheaded. Once the pain ebbed, she got up and plodded back to the place she hoped would be her second-to-last resting spot. Blair fell onto the mattress, closed her weighty eyelids, and waited for the lightness of death that would allow her to drift away like a wispy white feather. The light pouring through Blair's bedroom window the following morning covered her frail body in a blanket of soft gold. After a few tries, her eyes opened and remained so. Her mind was fuzzy, her body limp and heavy. As she became lucid, she realized that she had lived to see another day. Oh, no, not again, she moaned. Blair had sat up and gotten out of bed before she realized that her discomfort was somewhat bearable. The extra pills had served a useful purpose after all, but experience had taught her that moments such as these were short-lived. Her thoughts taunted her. I couldn't even catch a break from suicide. The second time's gonna have to be the charm. But first, let's make this last day feel normal. For a little while, anyway. Blair realized that more than anything, she wanted to be around people again. She managed to get showered and dressed. When she was ready, she called an Uber to take her to the downtown district. It had been ages since she had wandered its streets, shops, and cafes. Before leaving, Blair downed a couple more hydromorphone tablets to take the edge off, making sure to leave plenty for later. The Uber dropped Blair off in front of a coffee shop she used to frequent in the old and better days. The uncomfortable stares from the customers as she entered brought about a swell of embarrassment and sadness. Blair didn't need a mirror to remind her of her cringeworthy appearance. Their expressions cut deeper than any cruel reflection could. Blair limped to a table at the back wall of the cafe and eased into one of its soft padded seats. Hoping to escape any further scrutiny, she hid behind the menu and waited for a server to arrive. When the server arrived, her reaction to seeing Blair was awkward but expected. Her clumsy attempt at appearing compassionate struck Blair as disingenuous and patronizing. Pushing the unintended offense aside, she relaxed and ordered something. She played things safe, asking for a small muffin and some tea. When Blair's order arrived, the items smelled wonderful, and the very sight of them cheered her. 
However, the best she could manage was half of the muffin and less of the warm tea. Given how much her stomach had shrunk, it was enough to satisfy her. After leaving the coffee shop, Blair walked along the wide, bustling sidewalk. Her senses absorbed every sight, sound, and smell. Despite the busy life that was swirling around her, she felt a melancholy tugging at her soul. The day's activities would be her last glimpse of real life, a life she had taken for granted. Blair knew she was ill and had for a while, but this was the first time she felt like a ghost, a stubborn soul that had not yet taken its leave. She decided to walk a few more blocks, then go home and vanquish the pain for good. Blair was halfway down the third and final block when she came to a store she couldn't remember having ever seen before. It was a small nondescript shop. Its modest appearance was in conspicuous contrast to the more modern, trendier stores. Even its door looked out of date. It was a simple affair. A wood frame with a single large pane of glass in the door's upper half. Stenciled in old-style calligraphy was the shop's name, Madame Ona's Shop of Curiosities. Intrigued, Blair turned the door's knob and entered. Blair found the small bell over the door quaint and musical as it announced her arrival. Despite the foot traffic just beyond its door, the shop was empty of customers. Its interior brought to Blair's mind the Norman Rockwell painting of a small-town general store. The old ceiling fans, combined with the rough hardwood floors, created a worn, rustic look. The place was full of shelves and glass display cases of mystical odds and ends. Jars of colored powders, crystals, incense, and old books. Blair felt as if she had stumbled through a mirrored doorway and into a magical lair. She was so enthralled by the spiritual essence of the place that the woman's voice startled her. Welcome to my store, said the woman. I am Mademona. I apologize for having scared you. Mademona spoke with an exotic accent that Blair couldn't quite place. The diminutive woman was dressed in a loose floral muumuu. She was middle-aged with piercing blue eyes. Her unkempt mane of bushy white hair was so bright that Blair squinted at first. Despite the woman's small stature, her presence was intimidating. Is that all right? Blair said in response to the woman's apology. I was enjoying your store so much that I didn't notice you were there. My, you have a lot of interesting things here. Madame Ona's head swiveled as if she was viewing the setting for the first time. Yes, she said. A lot of interesting things. Her eyes locked with Blair's. Something brings you here today. A worry? A need? Ah, that's it. A need. Her eyes closed and she tilted her head to one side as if she was receiving an important message from some mystical force far away. It is deep physical pain that modern practices cannot abate, yes? That's right, Blair muttered. The woman's intuition both impressed and unnerved her. 
As if sensing Blair's apprehension, Madame Ona's ominous demeanor changed to a gentle patience. Fear not, child. I can help you, she said. Her gaze settled on an item resting on the top shelf to Blair's left. It was a tiny glass bottle, not much larger than a shot glass that had a cork seal. There was no label of any kind to identify the single ingredient, a black, white-speckled capsule. That bottle there, Madame Ona said, pointing. Pick it up. She said it as if she were a teacher coaxing a student into plucking a flower to examine. Blair pinched a curious remedy between her thumb and index finger and studied it. What is it? What's inside that bottle will devour all your pain. That is your need, your desire, yes? Blair was torn between trusting Madame Ona and avoiding being deceived. Such an act seemed cruel and self-serving. After all, she had a full bottle of cure waiting at home in her medicine cabinet. Why should the woman profit from her misery? As far as Blair was concerned, Madame Ona was offering her little more than snake oil. But Blair's anguish was forcing her hand. She wanted so badly to believe that there was hope for herself that she pushed aside her suspicions and allowed herself to be vulnerable. Please don't hold out false hope to me, Blair begged. This is my last attempt before I end this hell myself. So please, please don't take this lightly. I'm a human being, and I'm desperate. Madame Ona smiled at Blair as a mother would behold her splendid child. I know, I know, young one. Your clear and logical mind is saying, Oh, crazy lady, look at all her shrunken heads, potions and crystals. <laughs> but then there's that part of you that wants, needs to know that magic exists. She pointed at the bottle that Blair was clutching. That item can erase the agony that the so-called specialists claimed could never be healed. The choice, of course, is yours. But ask yourself, after all of the medicines that have been given to me, do I feel better or worse? Madame Ona let the question hover for a bit. As I said, the decision is yours. Either way, thank you for coming in. And be sure to tell a friend. Then she turned and walked away. Wait, Blair called. Madame Ona stopped. Without turning around, she asked. Yes? How much? Madame Ona turned and joined Blair. Nothing. Now, she said. But when the cure has done its work, call me, and I will come to you. We'll discuss a payment then. Blair's weariness returned. So, you don't want me to pay for this today? She asked. I can just take it and go? 
how do you know I won't cheat you? None ever have. I'm sure you won't either. Madamona reached into one of her pockets and retrieved a small card and handed it to Blair. When Blair tried to take the card from her, she held onto its edge tightly. In a somber tone, she said, Listen, child, you must be patient. You'll need to give the remedy enough time to do its magic. A few weeks and none less. I promise I won't betray your trust, Blair said. I'm sure you won't, child. Now go. Take it. And I will wait for your call. Going to the front door, it occurred to Blair to ask an important question she had not thought of before. Stopping, she said, Excuse me, ma'am. Should I be concerned about any side effects? Once you take it, you'll experience some tiredness. And your appetite will increase. Anything else? No, thank you for it. Madamona was already walking to the back room, leaving Blair alone with her miracle cure. Blair didn't want to wait until she got home before taking the capsule, so she returned to the cafe she had visited earlier. She ordered a cup of coffee and then called for an Uber. She took the small bottle from her purse and laid it on the table in front of her. She stared at it, wondering if it would help her, if only a bit. Anything's better than nothing, she thought. When her coffee arrived, Blair removed the capsule from the bottle and swallowed it with a swig of coffee. The hot liquid angered her insides. That's enough of that, she thought, setting the coffee aside. Thankfully, by the time the Uber arrived, the burning had subsided. Blair hopped into the car and headed straight home, eager to see what would unfold. The cloak of twilight painted Blair's apartment with a bluish tinge. She lay curled up in an oversized leather chair beside the living room window, reading. The growl from her stomach reminded her she had eaten nothing since earlier. She closed the book and set about making dinner. Blair went to the kitchen, found a small pot, and set it on the stove. Then she opened the cupboard and twirled the lazy Susan until she found a can of tomato soup. Soft foods and liquids were all she could tolerate. She remembered the woman's promise that her appetite would improve. I'd give everything I own for a single slice of pepperoni and pineapple pizza, she thought. Once Blair had heated the soup to a moderately warm temperature, she emptied it into a bowl, then grabbed a spoon. She sat down at the table and worked up the courage to eat. With hesitation, she spooned some of the soup into her mouth. Blair braced herself for the first wave of suffering. But to her pleasure and amazement, the tepid liquid made its way painlessly to her stomach. She ate a couple more spoonfuls, Again, no burning sensation. Relieved by the kindness of her stomach, she gulped down the rest of the soup. Oh my gosh, it worked, she said. 
She briefly considered rushing back to Madame Ona's store and giving the woman a big hug, but first her stomach was screaming for another bowl of soup. Later that evening, Blair stood before her medicine cabinet, the site she had planned for her suicide. She unscrewed the lid of the hydromorphone and shook a couple into her hand. She was about to take them, but paused as she noticed the absence of any pain, not even a slight twinge. Blair smiled as she recalled it had only been that morning when she had planned to swallow the entire bottle of painkillers. Now she was content to skip a dose. She returned the medicine to the cabinet and went to bed. For the first time in months, she didn't need to be drugged out of her mind to fall asleep. A strong grumbling in her belly awoke Blair in the middle of the night. Typically, it would have been a twisted pain she had to deal with. Now it was a deep hunger. The welcome return of her appetite filled her with joy and gratitude. She climbed out of bed and headed to the kitchen to appease it. Blair had a craving for something more filling than soup or jello. Although thrilled to get her appetite back, she couldn't wrap her head around the strength of her gnawing hunger. She kept little in the way of solid food, so she ended up placing a large order from an all-night diner. As she waited for the delivery person, she walked around her apartment, cramming saltines into her mouth and guzzling water. By the time the two turkey subs with fries arrived, she'd consumed a half a dozen individual servings of pudding, two cans of soup, and nearly a gallon of water. When the food was gone, Blair returned to bed. Despite having slept for many hours before her binge, Blair felt baffled by how exhausted she was. She slept for another 15 hours. When Blair finally awakened, it was late afternoon. Despite the extraordinary amount of sleep, she was still dog-tired. The only activity she felt any energy toward was eating. She shuffled around the kitchen in search of something to consume, but found nothing. She grabbed a quick shower and headed for the supermarket. Blair went crazy at the store. She bought so many groceries that she paid the Uber driver an extra $10 to help her tote them up to her apartment. Before Blair could put them away, her stomach beckoned again. An excessive amount of cookies, sodas, and thick sandwiches eventually sated her appetite. Then the drowsiness returned. She slept for 17 hours. The cycle continued for another two weeks. By then, Blair had gained 47 pounds and was sleeping 20 hours each night. Her desire to eat was relentless. She considered going back to her doctor, but remembered how little he had been able to help her. Thinking of reaching out to Madame Ona, she remembered the advice, allow a few weeks for the remedy to work. Within days, Blair had gained an additional 15 pounds. She hadn't bathed in over a week. Her former physical appearance used to frighten her, but her current state shocked her more. As Blair stood on the bathroom scale, looking down at the escalating numbers, she became concerned. It's too far, she thought. I'm headed too far in the other direction. Sweaty and dizzy, Blair stumbled to the bathroom sink and turned on the cold water. 
She cupped it in her doughy hands and splashed it on her face. Then she ran her fingers through her unwashed hair. The amount that came out startled her. Oh, God, what's wrong with me? Despite her anxiety, Blair still craved food. As quickly as her bloated body allowed, she waddled to the kitchen and ate for almost an hour. After gorging on everything that was left, Blair plopped on the living room sofa. Suddenly, it felt like something was sliding around inside her. Indigestion? She lifted her shirt and looked at her abdomen. A small knob pushed outward. Blair felt nauseous and afraid. She touched the protrusion with her fingertips and it receded. She began panting like a cornered animal as she felt the mass moving up toward her chest cavity, making her scream. Blood dripped from her nose while some ran down her throat, leaving a coppery taste on the back of her tongue. Her mind began whirring. What did that woman do to me? I'm calling her right now. Blair staggered to the bedroom. Where is it? Where is it? She dumped the contents of her purse onto the bed and pushed the items around until she found her phone and Madame Ona's card. She called and waited. Someone answered on the third ring, but to her it felt like many more. Madame Ona's shop of curiosities. What is your need? Blair recognized the woman's beguiling voice. Panicked, she said, Yes, hello. I hope you'll remember me. I visited your shop a short while back. You sold me a remedy for my chronic stomach pain. Why, yes, child. I remember you well. Madame Ona sounded pleased as if she were hearing from an old friend. How is your health? Are you eating and sleeping well? The pain. Tell me of the pain. Is it gone? Blair was shivering. Yes, the pain's gone, but I'm experiencing some serious side effects. I sleep for hours on end and I can't stop eating. I, I don't recognize myself anymore. Now my hair's falling out and I'm pretty sure I'm hemorrhaging. I'm scared to death. Just as I told you, there would be side effects. Are you experiencing any other symptoms? Yes. Something is moving around inside me. You didn't say anything about that. Am I going to die? Do I need a doctor? Madame Ona tittered, then in a reassuring tone said, You are not going to die, child. The remedy has merely done its job. There's only one last step. And then you will return to normal. No more worries now. There's only one last step, and then you will return to normal. No more worries now. Her sincerity soothed Blair. Thank you, Blair said. I'm just eager for this to be over. And soon it will be. Madamona said. But before I come, I need to know that you will honor your part of the bargain. You must pay me. Of course, Blair said. How much do you want? 
The price stunned Blair. Uh, listen, I, I don't want to seem ungrateful, but that sounds a little steep for a single dose of medicine. No, no, the remedy is free. The charge is for the removal. Blair was confused. Removal? What removal? What was in that capsule? Oh, my child. That was no capsule. That was an egg. Angie's list is now Angie, and we've heard a lot of theories about why. I thought it was an eco-move. Fewer words, less paper. No, it was so you could say it faster. No, it's to be more iconic. Must be a tech thing. But those aren't quite right. It's because now you can compare upfront prices, book a service instantly, and even get your project handled from start to finish. Sounds easy. It is. And it makes us so much more than just a list. Get started at Angie.com. That's A-N-G-I. Or download the app today. Angie has made it easier than ever to connect with skilled professionals to get all your jobs projects done well. If you own a home, you know how much work it can take. Whether it's everyday maintenance and repairs, or making dream projects a reality. It can be hard just to know where to start, but now all you need to do is Angie that and find a skilled local pro who will deliver the quality and expertise you need. Angie has over 20 years of home service experience, and they've combined it with new tools to simplify the whole process. Bring them your project online or with the Angie app, answer a few questions, and Angie can handle the rest from start to finish or help you compare quotes from multiple pros and connect instantly, which means you can take care of just about any home project in just a few taps. Because when it comes to getting the most out of your home, you can do this when you Angie that. Download the free Angie mobile app today or visit Angie.com. That's A-N-G-I dot com. Broderick's story. There lurks within each of us a haunted house inhabited by the ghosts of our worst mistakes. Broderick O'Connor was no exception. Broderick was an asset, plain and simple. He was all sunshine and bunnies as long as everything went his way. You were either the love of his life, his bestest bud, or a job that was enjoyable and satisfying. That is until you crossed the line. Oh yeah, that line. Once you crossed it, there was no chance of going back. You were now excommunicated, dumped, despised, scorned, or in extreme cases, dead to him. Ex-friends, jilted lovers, forsaken parents, and unfortunate food servers littered the desolate highway of his icy heart. When it came to women, Broderick found attraction in those who possessed beauty, intelligence, and emotional dependence. He viewed them as drinks he could pull from the fridge anytime he was thirsty for a particular flavor. It was anyone, anytime, anywhere for tall, handsome Broderick. God, life was good. Then came Lila, his first genuine love. She was a different scenario altogether. She was sharp-witted, pleasant, and self-aware, qualities that Broderick lacked. Her attraction to him mystified her friends and family, perhaps herself a bit as well. I can't help myself, 
she often told herself. There's just something about that jerk I can't turn away from. Still, Lila had the pick of the lovesick man puppies who followed her around with their tongues hanging out, hoping to catch her notice. This only made Broderick more determined to woo her, to have her, control her. Although he had plucked others with ease, Lila's roots went deep. She was hip to his jive, and she let him know it. Broderick realized, perhaps for the first time, that he had become the clingy lover. But he was okay with that. He reasoned that, at some point, all wild stallions got corralled. Now was clearly his time. However, as in many relationships, needs and wants change. After two relatively blissful Hallmark movie passed the Kleenex years together, Lila made her new needs known. She wanted to get married and soon. Broderick did not want her to. Lila never misled Broderick and had been communicating to him for months that she had downgraded her once stormy passion for him to a localized let's be friends drizzle. It never crossed Broderick's mind that she would tire of his temper tantrums and selfishness. But boy, did he get his mind around reality when she packed up, kissed his cheek, and wished him well. Broderick moped for weeks. It didn't help that on the few occasions he dragged himself out of his lonely, cluttered apartment, he would run into Lila and her fiancé Ted. If Broderick went to a movie, they were there. To a bar? There. At a concert? Four seats down on the left. Hell! Broderick thought. If I moved to the middle of the Gobi Desert, they'd come by on a flowery float, with the USC marching band out front passing wind to the tune of Living La Vida Loca. Broderick's emotional stability vacillated. He hated her. He loved her. No, wait. He hated her and wished her butt would break off. Yet he desired her. He needed her. During one of his brief moments of introspection, Broderick pummeled himself with the truth. I was a complete tool. It's time to take yourself in hand and admit you were a jerk. She was always given and you were always taken and asking for a receipt. Sorry, dog. This one's all on you. Every time Broderick called to apologize, Lila accepted the apology. Each time he called and begged for another opportunity, she asked him to be happy for her and move on. And when he called and yelled threats at her, Ted had a few threats of his own. And so Broderick lived alone, unloved, unwashed, unshaven, and unhappy. Except for work, he rarely left the apartment. However, that changed one mild sunny Sunday when he talked himself into venturing outdoors. Broderick called an Uber and went for a ride that had no set destination. When he was tired of riding, he paid the driver, got out, and started walking. During his long and aimless trek, Broderick made only three stops. The first one was to eat a hot meal at a downtown cafe. The second stop was to check out his reflection in a large shop window. Sure, he was full of angst, but OMG, did he still look hot or what? The last stop was either impulse or destiny. He couldn't be sure which, and he didn't much care. Tucked between two downtown businesses was a small, unremarkable shop. Its outdated appearance suited a small town better than bustling Boston, 
There was a stenciled sign on the door that read Madamona's Shop of Curiosities. You gotta love the originality, Broderick thought. He was about to give the store a hard pass when he felt an unseen force. Was it fascination? Drawing him toward it. Broderick paused, staring at the door, deciding if he should enter. What else do I have to do today? He thought. With his decision made, he entered the odd shop. A small delicate bell over the door dinged, annoying him. Broderick sauntered through the front of the store, taking in the atmosphere, wondering, the hell kind of crap is this? The simple down-home appearance of the store, along with its odd collections of bottled powders, trinkets, and potions, struck him as hokey. A sweet smell of strawberry incense permeated the air. Aside from him, the place was empty, making him uneasy. Still, his curiosity led him to venture further into the mysterious store. Caught up in the shop's intrigue, Broderick moved from aisle to aisle inspecting the various items for sale. The only sound was his feet tapping against the wooden floor like the slow clippity-clop of a horse's hooves on cobblestone. The silence of the store deepened until... How may I serve you today? The unexpected voice asked, startling Broderick. Whoa! Broderick snapped. I almost made mud in my shorts! I apologize for startling you, the small thin woman with bright white hair said. I am the proprietor, Madam Una. Congratulations, Broderick said, catching his breath. He poked some items with his index finger, assessing their interest. You've got a lot of unusual stuff here. Yes, a lot of unusual things. Perhaps I possess something you desire. Need. Broderick continued picking through the merchandise with lazy attention, as though he hadn't heard her. Then, after a moment, said, Lady, I don't see anything I want, much less need. The mysterious woman scowled her eyes a hard, steely blue. Really? I'll be the judge of that. Broderick's eyes widened as the diminutive woman quickly closed the distance between them. What the? He mumbled. Once Madame Ona was face to face with Broderick, her ominous demeanor diminished and she became a sales clerk again. She looked at an item on the middle shelf to Broderick's right. It was a grayish-colored stone, roughly the size and shape of a spearhead, cushioned on a bed of black satin cloth. The object looked old but clean. It bore an unusual symbol, an oval at the top connected to a jagged line running to the bottom, with a short arrow jutting out near the end like a kickstand. Pick it up, Madamona said. This? Broderick asked, pointing to the stone. Yes, that one. Why this one? I sense you have a need. Fiasylum could be helpful. Be careful when you touch it. Broderick inched his hand toward the stone as if it were a snake he was attempting to grab without being bitten. Boo! 
Madamona shouted. Broderick again thought he might require some absorbent underwear. Just kidding, <laughs> Madamona said with a hearty laugh. <laughs> Seriously, though, pick it up and look at it. Broderick, more irritated than amused, relaxed and took the stone. Although it was small, it had a dense and heavy feel, measuring only four or five inches in length and a couple of inches at its widest point. Okay, now what? Broderick asked with weak interest. Look at the symbol, Madamona said. Feel the weight of the stone in your hand. Broderick playfully tossed the piece from hand to hand. So, what is it? A talisman, she answered. What's it go for? He said as he continued playing with the piece. Ten thousand dollars. What? Broderick screeched in surprise, losing his grip on the stone. He resembled a man trying to hang on to a flopping fish as he hilariously attempted to grab it. Recovering his grip on the talisman, he asked, Why in the heck would you have a $10,000 item just sitting out here like this? Easy, easy, Madamona said in a calm, measured tone. I wouldn't, if that were the actual price. As Madamona <laughs> chuckled again at his expense, Broderick's facial expression conveyed a tandem of relief and hostility. After enjoying her cruel trick, Madamona became serious again. As I said, I suspect it is a need that brought you here today. Nah, I'm pretty sure it was boredom and an Uber, Broderick said in a sarcastic tone. I guess it's your turn to make jokes, Madamona said good-naturedly. That's fair. Now let's return to our initial discussion. I sense you are a person burdened with guilt and regret. Zigging when you should have zagged. Saying no when you should have said yes. Or saying yes when you should have said no. Your ego has brought about the failure of all your meaningful relationships. Like countless other shattered spirits, you long to rewind time and make different choices with the knowledge that you possess today. As his smarmy veneer melted away, Broderick felt the shame of a man who had been caught red-handed and who must now accept judgment. That's right, he whispered. He realized that the intuitive woman wasn't prepared to buy any of the BS he regularly sold at rock-bottom prices in volume, volume, volume. Stepping closer, Madame on the set in a conspiratorial voice, What if I told you there is a way to fix something you broke? Would you grab that chance? Your clear logical mind may think I'm crazy lady with crystals, potions, and shrunken heads who believes in magic. 
but what if time and space were nothing more than a human construct? Eh? Man's vain and futile attempt to bring order to chaos. And what if I told you that there are some things that exist beyond our mortal boundaries? Go on, Broderick said. That object in your hand is a key to the door that opens up to that plane, Madamona said. The people who have used the talisman have suffered about the same number of regrets as anyone else. But for them, there was always the one wound that refused to heal. They felt no obligation to fix the world, nor did they possess the ability to do so. Their needs were personal. Painful. They wanted to return and make a better investment to prevent their family's bankruptcy. They wanted to save their brother from suicide or step to their left instead of their right to avoid tripping an LED. Once the talisman served its purpose, they brought it back and went on with their happier lives. Broderick clung fiercely to the reality he believed in. Are you trying to play me? Play you? No. I'm attempting to offer you a different past for a different future. A new trajectory, if you will. Oh, I see. And this wonderful opportunity costs how much? Ooh, if I act now, will you send me a second stone at half price? It will cost you nothing, Madamona replied. Nothing, Broderick asked suspiciously. That's right. There, nothing at first. Oh, here we go, Broderick said, rolling his eyes, mocking her. Hear me out, Madamona said. I'll let you borrow the talisman and try it out for a few days free of charge. But first, you must master how to skillfully and safely use it. For that, I'll send you on a trial run. Think of a time that might be fun to experience. A moment from your early childhood. Your first kiss. Or an important moment in history. Interact with the past but change nothing yet. A benign visit will teach you how to be gentle with the talisman until you learn to control its power. Only then will you be competent enough to make the changes you want. You said the others who tested the talisman brought it back. What happens if I don't? Broderick asked. The stone works its own type of magic, Madamona said. It always finds its way home. Spooky. All right, how does it work? 
first you must tell me your name. Broderick O'Connor. Broderick O'Connor. I need you to listen very, very carefully. You must follow my instructions to the letter. Hold the talisman tightly between your hands and close your eyes. Clutching the stone, Broderick strained his eyes in a tight squint. As he listened to Madame Ona continue her instructions, he noticed her voice sounded lighter and more distant, as though his mind was hearing the words rather than his ears. As you feel yourself going further into a relaxed state, she whispered, imagine the periods you want to return to. When you experience sounds, tastes, and smells from that location and time, open your eyes, and you'll be there. Make the most of your visit, because the talisman will not allow you to return to that event. It's a one-and-done proposition. Lastly, Ensure the talisman is protected, perhaps by placing it in a pocket to avoid losing it. Then her voice shifted to a somber tone. Now, Mr. Connor, you have to focus here, because this part is the most critical. Do not remain anywhere for too long. Ten minutes at the most. To return, have the talisman firmly clutched again between your hands. It can't be in your pocket or in one hand. If you don't perfectly repeat the ritual, you will be a prisoner of that moment. Condemned to an eternity where you play out the same scene over and over again. A world without end. Amen. Once you're satisfied with this stone's authenticity, bring it back to me. If you wish to buy it, we will negotiate a fair exchange. Broderick was nervous. However, the power to say or do things differently also excited him, demonstrating to Lila that he could change and become the man she yearned for was his immediate thought. But what if I goof up? I can't go back and try again, he worried. Or could I? Broderick turned his attention to completing the test run. He took a couple of beats, then said, I'm ready. Then begin. Madamona said. Broderick contemplated time traveling to the 1980s, a decade of eclectic fashion and the birth of music videos. However, he recollected that the 80s were also marked by undeniable unpleasantness. Iran-Contra, AIDS, and the rise of Huey Lewis in the news. Let's move a little further back, he thought. He formed a strong mental version of the Vietnam protests back in the 1960s. He thought about a history class in high school where he had learned about the turbulent era. 
He recalled viewing old black and white footage of war protests, soldiers in jungles, and the assassination of influential people. Soon, Broderick experienced a surge of fear and exhilaration as he felt himself being pulled backward, then fired forward like he had been launched from a giant invisible slingshot. As Broderick was propelled forward, he heard music and vocals. Stop. Hey, what's that sound? Everybody look what's going down. Broderick recognized the lyrics from a song that his grandfather used to play on his stereo. He recalled that the title of the song is For What It's Worth by a band called Buffalo Springfield. Behind the music, voices were shouting. Then he detected the pungent smell of sweat and hot asphalt and felt the summer heat. When Broderick opened his eyes, he was standing in a mob of angry young protesters. Many of them were carrying anti-war signs. A long-haired, shirtless, twenty-something man handed him a sign that read, One, two, three, four, you can shove your stupid war. Broderick slipped the talisman into a pocket of the faded, tattered jeans he was now wearing. He soon regretted his hasty choice of locations. There was too much anger and hatred. Noxious body odor. Why didn't I choose Woodstock for pity's sake? He wondered. It's where you learn that the best things in life are free, especially hippie sex. Broderick was overwhelmed at first, but when his mind accepted that he was actually taking part in a 60s protest, he became enlivened. For the next few minutes, he marched, yelled, and gave the finger to some anti-protesters lining the sidewalks. Broderick was enjoying the experience until the group rounded a corner and met with a brigade of ticked-off police. The protesters armed themselves with signs that contained crappy poetry. The cops had guns, billy clubs, tear gas, fierce dogs, and fire hoses. Yep, seen enough, Broderick said. He dropped his sign and removed the talisman from his pocket. Thankful for having paid attention to the shopkeeper, he held the stone relic in both hands, closing his eyes. His thoughts were solely on the store he had left from. Soon, his ethereal body was flying through space again. Broderick smelled strawberry incense and felt the wooden floor beneath his feet. Relief washed over him as he opened his eyes and realized he was back in the present. Madame Ona was sitting near the front door behind the glass counter reading a copy of Glamour magazine. Welcome back, she nonchalantly said, as if Broderick's trip was an every-hour-on-the-hour occurrence. How long was I gone? Broderick breathlessly asked. I cannot say for certain. Perhaps a few minutes, maybe more, she said. Did I disappear? Yes, you did. Where'd you go? The 60s. A Vietnam protest march. Seriously? Madame Ona looked befuddled, as if Broderick had selected a stupid and unusual place. It was just an arbitrary time that popped into my head, Broderick said defensively. Okay, she replied. Oh yeah? Well, where the heck would you have gone? How should I know? It was your space trip, Major Tom. Broderick looked in awe at the wondrous magical stone still clasped in his hands. I'll take it. Don't get ahead of yourself, Broderick O'Connor. As I said, 
I'll allow you to try it. But it's also a trial period for the talisman to test you. You have to demonstrate responsibility and respect. Respect for what? You? Broderick sneered. No, for the talisman, Madame Ona said cryptically. Borrow it. Use it wisely. Fix your problem. Don't lose the talisman. Return here with it. We'll see if you still want to own it. Broderick absorbed her words for a moment. Deal, he said. He pocketed the stone, then went to the entrance and stopped. I'll see you soon, he said over his shoulder. Then his face became stern, a glint of menace in his eyes. But be warned, if this thing doesn't work as promised, I'll be seeing you sooner, and I won't be a happy customer. His threat clear, Broderick flung open the front door and left with the stone. Whatever you say, Mr. Broderick O'Connor, Madamona muttered before returning to her magazine. The Angie's List you know and trust is now Angie, and we're so much more than just a list. We still connect you with top local pros and show you ratings and reviews, but now we also let you compare upfront prices on hundreds of projects and book a service instantly. We can even handle the rest of your project from start to finish. So remember, Angie's List is now Angie, and we're here to get your job done right. Get started at Angie.com. That's A-N-G-I, or download the app today. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Broderick was orbiting around the talisman lying on his living room coffee table as though it were the sun. He gnawed on his thumbnail, a habit he had whenever he was perplexed or had a good idea, which was seldom. Do it. Do it. Just do it, he kept repeating. This had been going on for nearly an hour. Can I do this? He asked himself. I need more time to think. I've only got one shot. I can't afford to screw this up. Broderick was about to complete another rotation when an idea struck him. I'll need to take another test run. I'll try going back in time a little farther than before. Now, how far back do I want to go? That graduation trip to the beach with my buds? My first frat party? Nah, let's really see what this bad boy will do. Go big or go home, Brody. No one could accuse Broderick of not being creative. For him, it was an essential building block in the art of lying with ease and plausible conviction. After thinking it over, Broderick impressed himself with a bold and brilliant idea. It came to him while he was looking at a painting that his parents had given him as a housewarming gift. It depicted a revolutionary war battle. Smoke billowed from cannons and muskets. 
Fearlessly, men charged at each other with bayonets at the ready. As horses reared on their hind legs in the ethereal battle mist, Let's get it on! Broderick shouted like a boxing announcer. He picked up the talisman and began the well-rehearsed rite. Everything around him faded as his mind thought of nothing but the battle scene. Broderick felt propelled through time once more. Soon he tasted the metallic tang of spent ammunition and felt warm squishy mud under his feet. He heard the sound of victory yells juxtaposed with the screams of the dying and wounded. When Broderick opened his eyes, he was in the scene depicted in the painting. The military attire he wore revealed his status as a member of the Continental Army. He tucked the mystical stone inside one of his jacket pockets. Holding the musket, it occurred to him he had never shot a gun in his life. He had certainly never taken a life before, unless you counted his pleasant daydreams regarding the twit in the cubicle next to his own. The loser never stopped talking. Bringing a violent end to a dunce's incessant droning had always filled Broderick's heart with sweet contentment. However, his verve didn't transfer to his current situation. All Broderick could think to do was to run around yelling, hoping he didn't get plugged by a round bullet or lanced with a British bayonet. When a whistling cannonball vaporized the head of the soldier a few feet to his left, Broderick was ready to bring the experiment to its necessary conclusion. He ditched the rifle, pulled the talisman from the top pocket of his grimy, ragged coat, and headed for home. Broderick arrived back at his apartment, standing in the spot from which he had left. He was pale and shaken. Once his nerves settled, he roared in the triumphant manner of a successful scientist. And thus it is proved! Broderick planned to sleep on it for a night, but decided he was as ready as he'd ever be to visit Lila. The result of his experiments confirmed his capability to regulate travel distances. In light of this, he reasoned that if he made a mistake during his first visit to Lila, he could continue to regress in their relationship until he achieved his objective. Remember, he instructed himself, don't rush it. Begin with how sorry you are for being selfish and insensitive. Keep it simple. And keep in mind that if necessary, you can go back as far as you need and take another stab at this. The last thought, stab at this, reminded Broderick of how close he had come to being the marshmallow portion of some redcoat's cosmic s'more. He shivered and swallowed a thick gulp of spit. All right, let's do this. Broderick lowered himself into the plush, comfortable couch that Lila had generously, or perhaps accidentally, bequeathed him. He relaxed and recalled the vivid memory of the night Lila had left him for Ted. Then, for reasons he didn't understand, he started humming the song Livin' La Vida Loca. He recentered himself and picked up where he had left off. Following the prescribed ceremony, Broderick felt a comfortable couch give way to a hard metal chair in the coffee house that he and Lila had frequented. He inhaled the scintillating smell of freshly brewed and unconscionably overpriced coffees. He heard acoustic Americana music coming through the shop sound system, as well as the undecipherable chatter of the surrounding patrons. Broderick didn't open his eyes right away. A great sorrow rested on his heart. 
He felt the lump forming in his throat and tears brimming in his eyes. He hadn't considered what his reaction would be when he opened his eyes and saw the love of his life sitting in front of him again. He braced himself as he felt the comfort of her small, delicate hand touching his own and her captivating, mellifluous voice. Roderick, are you okay? He opened his eyes and did his best not to appear too emotional. Yeah, babe, he said. I just blanked out there for a minute. You looked like you were napping. I thought that maybe I'd bored you to death. No, no, I'm good, Broderick said. I need to say something to you. I need to tell you. I realize that I've been a total jerk. I've taken you for granted for too long, I... Broderick, there's something I need to tell you, too. And based on where I think you're about to take this conversation, now should be the time. His heart plummeted to his churning stomach. No, Angel, don't. Please, Lila. Babe, this just isn't working out. She said. I know you're trying to make things right, but even if you'd been perfect, this would still be the end for us. The thing is, I'm in love with someone else. I need someone I can have a committed relationship with. This isn't a spur-of-the-moment thing. I've felt it for a while now. A sense of vulnerability was supplanting the bravado that Broderick had brought to the failing plan. His mouth was thickening with nervous spit while the tears he was fighting threatened to reveal his pain. Gone was his pride, his dignity. He didn't care about the looks that some of the nerdy coffee swillers were shooting at him. Realizing that this trip was doomed to failure, a sense of hopelessness and brokenness engulfed him. Despite his clever planning and cockiness, he was going to lose her anyway. Desperate, Broderick used the only tool he had left. Pleading. Tell me what to do, he begged. Whatever it takes to make you happy, I'll do it. Whoever you need me to be, I'll be that person. Lila, this isn't an infatuation. I need you. Please, babe. Please give me a little more time to show you I can change. Then I can make you happy. Broderick, if you really want to make me happy, then you need to let me go. So, uh... Oh, crap, Broderick realized. I'm taking too long. If I don't leave, I'll be stuck here listening to the Indigo Girls and having my heart ripped out with an ice cream scoop forever. I gotta go, Lila, Broderick blurted. What? Lila asked with a look of mild confusion and annoyance. I'll come back. I'll come back for you, but it's got to be later. I mean, earlier. I mean, oh, Judas with a side of fries. I'll be back. Be back for me later? Earlier? What are you even talking about? Lila asked. Broderick realized he had to leave things where they were for the time being. He lifted the talisman he had been holding under the table and did the dance. Broderick, what is that thing? Are you conking out on me again? So help me God. Broderick began to jaunt home. Soon Broderick felt the warm embrace of the sofa. He heard the hum of the air conditioning forcing its way out of the floor vent. Once he knew he had successfully completed the journey, he opened his eyes. He felt so overwhelmed by grief that he thought he might vomit. 
However, the melancholy at his failure melted under the brightness of his knowledge that he could cheat time and head back to Lila again. Broderick acknowledged and agreed that he had only one chance to alter an event, but what he was talking about was changing the outcome under different circumstances at different times. He had already demonstrated the ability to go backwards as far as he wanted, but first he needed to lie back, pull himself together, and strategize his next attempt. This time he had armed himself with something he neglected to bring along on the first trip, an unbelievable amount of BS. The only question was where in time should he revisit? After some thought, he picked a date. It was the night that he had asked Lila to move in with him. It had taken some coaxing at first, but she'd relented despite her hesitation. Broderick wanted to alleviate the doubts she had back then. He concluded that those lingering doubts were the cause of the subsequent pain. Those in his unpleasant personality traits. Broderick's plan was to adopt a new persona. One in which he was patient instead of pushy. A listener instead of someone who dominated the conversation and sophisticated instead of crass. He hoped Lila would love him more deeply and accept this new version of Broderick as the soulmate she wanted. And most importantly, no Ted. Broderick practiced his lines, body language, and facial expressions in front of the mirror. To enhance the experience, he imagined himself in a stylish brown sports coat, crisp white shirt, well-fitted blue jeans, and new dress loafers. It wouldn't do to show up this time in a Green Day t-shirt with wrinkled jeans and some grungy white sneakers. Broderick was prepared for takeoff when it occurred to him that some cologne might help to complement his image. The problem was he had never worn any because he had never owned any. When it came to his personal hygiene, he figured a morning application of deodorant fulfilled his part of the social contract. He also flossed three times a week. Surely that counted for something. Broderick smiled as a brilliant flash of ingenuity struck him. He went to the laundry closet, grabbed a dryer sheet that contained a fragrance called Lemon Meadow, and used it to wipe down his entire body. Once the stage was set, Broderick dropped onto the sofa, took the talisman in his hands, and pulled every memory of that night into his mind's eye. Then... Why, thank you. You look quite nice yourself, Lila said from her side of the restaurant table. You know, I don't think I've ever seen you this spruced up. You really clean up nice, kiddo. I did it for you, Broderick cooed with a slice of smiles as he placed the talisman in his pants pocket. Lila leaned forward over the table and sniffed. Did you put on some cologne for me as well? Why, yes, I did. Do you like it? I guess so. It kind of makes you smell like a lemon tree. Or dryer lint. I can't tell. Lila, I want to talk to you about an idea I have. I hope that it excites you as much as it does me. Broderick began his carefully crafted speech. He laid out an eloquent statesman-like soliloquy about the importance of commitment. His lawyerly summation concluded with asking Lila to share his life, his love, and his home. 
Broderick delivered the heartfelt appeal with a robust theatrical style reminiscent of Sir John Gilgood in the Shakespearean tragedy, with a hint of Tom Cruise and Jerry Maguire. After he completed his sales pitch, Broderick gave himself a mental pat on the back. Booyah! His inner voice cheered. Drop the mic, cue the sunset, and roll the credits, baby. Cause daddy just put it to bed. With the most realistic tears he could muster, Broderick took Lila's hands in his. I'll make you happy for the rest of your life and any to come. What do you say? Lila, with a soft twinkle in her eyes, waited for a moment before giving him an answer. In a tone devoid of enthusiasm, she said, Nah, I don't think so. Broderick's fawning eyes and cherub facial expression didn't change as he said, Wait, what? Look, Broderick, I thought you were a man who's comfortable in his own skin. Yes, sometimes you can be short-tempered, immature, and narcissistic. But I've learned to embrace you despite these flaws. Now you're trying to be someone you're not just to please me. You came here tonight looking and smelling like a metrosexual who got lost in a lemon orchard and talking like a drippy romance novelist. It isn't you. It's a forged version of you. For example, right now, you look like you're so emotionally fragile that you might cry at any second. That's not the Broderick I fell for. I'm sorry, but if this is really who you are, then it might be better just to give each other some space for a while. Besides, it's not like you'd notice I'm gone. You barely acknowledge me when I'm here. Broderick felt like the north end of a southbound mule. How in the heck did this plan fail? He wondered. The clothes? The tender, caring person? The stupid, lemony, fresh dryer sheet for pity's sake? The futility of everything he had done to change this one thing enraged him. Broderick sprang from his chair and allowed Lila, the waiters, and the other proud Americans in the establishment to be sucked into his profanity-laced, red-faced, lost-in-the-case swirling vortex of shame and fury. By the time he ran out of steam, the cowardly patrons had evacuated the scene. The braver ones who remained disregarded Broderick's outburst as nothing more than dinner and a show. Lila, who had sat through the entire performance with eyes as wide as the Rio Grande, began slowly clapping. She stood and addressed the entire room. And now, ladies and gentlemen, fresh off his Tony Award-winning role for Best Actress in a Comedy or Drama, it's none other than Broderick, the lemon-scented monkey's ass. Far from done, she added, Thank you, Broderick, for all of the good times along with tonight's stirring performance. Now, if you'll excuse me, I'm calling a friend to pick me up. Someone who's more mature than you, and I might add, better smelling. Lila! Broderick yelled as she began walking toward the entrance. After everything I've done to make you love me, don't you have one kind thing to say? Lila stopped short and turned. Yeah, Broderick, here's some kind advice. You know that recipe you concocted for your world-famous cucumber and raisin casserole? Well, it's an abomination before the Lord. Burn it. Deciding to do the rest of her talking with her walking, she turned and stomped her way to the restaurant's front door. Broderick was numb. He couldn't think, couldn't speak. He thought she loved his cucumber and raisin casserole. 
and if he thought this moment was the zenith of his humiliation, he would have been wrong. Very wrong. When Lila got to the door, before she could push it open, a handsome young man with a square jaw, crystal blue eyes, a thick head of wavy brown hair, and movie star good looks opened it for her. I was in the bar and saw what happened, said the lean, tanned, and effortlessly charming young man. Actually, it was probably picked up by the International Space Station. At that, Lila's rage-hardened face softened, and she laughed. <laughs> Anyhow, the young stranger said, I was just heading out to meet some friends who were having a small rooftop party. I could give you a ride home on the way if you want. Sounds great, Lila said coquettishly. But that party sounds a little great, too. Broderick stood there dumbfounded as they walked through the door together. The restaurant was still and quiet, so he could hear their last exchange. I'm Lila, by the way. Well, hi, Lila, by the way. Pleased to meet you. I'm Ted. Broderick slept little that night. He was sad, angry, and out of ideas. He remembered a quote by Soren Kierkegaard. There is no more pitiful state of being that comes about than when one has to let go of a future that will never be. No matter what he did or how far back he went, there would never be a future with Lila. It hurt. By the early afternoon of the next day, Broderick's growling stomach outmatched his martyr's desire to starve to death, so he ventured out. Besides, his limited trial time with the talisman was almost up. It was time to return it. Broderick took an Uber to the diner he had eaten at prior to his first visit to Madame Ona's shop of curiosities. He ended up being more of a martyr than expected, leaving half of his turkey and Havarti sandwich uneaten. He paid the tab and set out for Madame Ona's. When Broderick entered the store, he saw Madame Ona seated behind the counter, perusing the magazine. Without looking up, she asked, Oh, hello. Back already? The store was still as empty as the tomb on Easter morning. Broderick shuffled over to the counter. He took the talisman out of his pocket and laid it on the glass countertop. Didn't work, he said solemnly. Of course it did, Madamona said. I saw you take your first trip. Then she sniffed the air. Do you smell that? Smell what? Lemons and dryer lint. Oh, that'd be me. No, I meant that it didn't help me do what I wanted to do. I lost Lila anyway. I should have listened to you. I only had one chance to fix things. Getting creative with the rules to cheat the talisman is a fool's errand. It won't stand for it. I suppose that's fair. Madame Ona got up from her stool and walked from behind the counter to Broderick. You're not the only person who's had an important moment slip through their hands, she said in a soothing manner. As you learned, you're not allowed to try more than once. What you get is what has to be. At least you had the presence of mind not to stay there for too long. You didn't get stuck reliving that bad moment for all of eternity. 
That would have been the real hell. Now you can move on with the knowledge that you've done all you could to erase your pain. It seems like you've let this stone teach you the importance of boundaries, humility, and respect. Do you still want the talisman? Broderick thought for a bit. I don't know, he woefully replied. Then a mischievous grin spread across his face as his ego considered the power he could wield from the talisman. Maybe. Yeah, why not? Unlike the others, I could use it to bounce around history. Maybe I can seal the stone myself. That's quite a piece of magic you have there. Broderick snatched the talisman from the counter and began flipping it in his hand like a coin. Madamona's hand shot out and seized it from the air just before he could catch it. No, she said defiantly. I'm sorry, did you say no? The talisman is a sacred artifact, not a toy for your amusement. Many have used it countless times throughout history, in spans of time too long to fathom. I've only offered the talisman to a select group of people. Those who mourn. Those who've wronged others through cruelty or personal gain. And those who yearn to get back something precious that's been lost. By offering it to you, I thought it might change your cavalier impertinent attitude, but apparently even it's not powerful enough. Like you, there have been those who have demanded to possess it, no matter the cost, even after they proved themselves unworthy. Well, if you found worthy people to sell it to, then how does it keep ending up back here with you? Broderick indignantly asked. As I've already explained to you, when the need was no more, they returned the talisman to me. Mr. O'Connor, instead of, as you put it, bouncing around in time, this talisman can provide you with something more meaningful and keep you from living a self-centered existence. You could use it to help the people in your life who have also known regret, or you could use it to inhabit your own personal universe in which you always profit and never lose. Have you ever stopped to consider that sometimes it's the hardest lessons that shape us into becoming who we are meant to be? Broderick felt the same old ferocity rising in him. His inner demons encouraged him to put his foot down and demand his own way, lest there be consequences. He brought his head down, almost touching the small woman's forehead. You said you find me cavalier and impertinent, Broderick hissed. You left out a couple of other descriptions. Determination and wrath. 
You told me not two days ago that if I was satisfied with the stone that you'd work out a fair price for me. I think now is an appropriate time for that. See, like me and that rock, you need to learn about boundaries, humility, and respect. Here's what I know and what I don't know. I know you're going to sell me that stone. What I don't know is what's going to happen if you don't. That talisman isn't a sacred artifact. It's a total screw-up. It had one task to accomplish and it couldn't handle it. But I'm a creative guy. I can come up with some adjustments. I think you figured out that I can take this rock if I want to. But I believe in being fair. Sell it to me, and I promise that I won't go back in time and murder your pregnant whore of a mother. What say you, all-powerful soothsayer? Madame Ona's eyes never left Broderick's. When he finished his blatant threat, she allowed an impish grin of her own to paint her face. All right, then, she said. You drive a hard bargain, Mr. O'Connor. I suppose it was going to pass to another owner at some point. I told you I would sell it to you, and so I shall. Broderick smirked. That's more like it. Well, I'm listening. I'm a purveyor of unusual objects, but I'm also a businesswoman, Madame Ona said. How else could I afford to keep this shop open? After all, you can only make so much by selling healing crystals and love potions. Well, aren't you the little hypocrite? Broderick slyly asked. Okay, I'll bite. You said the price would be fair, but by fair, I'm thinking you're asking for something other than money. What a clever boy, she mewed. I want you to use it one more time for me. There's something I'd like from the past. Something I'd love to add to my inventory. If you want it so bad, why haven't you gone back and gotten it yourself? Sorry to say, I'm not as adventurous as some people. Besides, if I didn't make it back, who would feed my cats? How many cats do you have? Madame Ona paused. Crap, I didn't expect you to ask, she said sheepishly. All right, all right. I don't have any stupid kids. I'm just cowardly. Sue me. Broderick snickered, shaking his head in disbelief. Kay, what is it you want? He asked. A sliver of wood from the cross of Christ, Madamona said. You mean Jesus Christ? No, Carl Christ. Yes, I'd like you to travel back to the day of the crucifixion and bring me a small piece of the cross. That's it? 
Broderick asked with relief. Nothing else? Like maybe a Roman toga or ten dollars worth of shekels? Nothing like that? No, Madame Ona said. Just see one bit of wood. I have a use for it. Broderick clapped his hands together and again used his booming announcer's voice. Let's get it on! Okay. Come look at this. She turned and walked across the sales floor at a quick clip, her purple moo-moo billowing behind her. They ended up in front of a tall glass display. The unique and disparate items engrossed Broderick. Now what have we got here? he asked as his eyes swept over the collection of valuable relics. His eyes settled on a button. Well, where's that from? Madame Ona enjoyed the look of fascination on Broderick's face. I had that button taken off the coat of George Washington during the winter of 1777 at Valley Forge. That's the real deal? Seriously? Seriously. Get out of my room, Broderick exclaimed with an air of excitement. And that? he asked, pointing at an ornate dagger. That's a sacrificial dagger from about 2000 B.C. That was retrieved by one of my travelers. It belonged to a Mayan tribal chief. Is that what I think it is? Broderick pressed his forehead to the front of the glass case to confirm what he thought he was seeing. That's right, Madamona said. That is the crown of thorns worn by Christ, and those are the three nails used to hold him on the cross. As you can see, they're large and slightly bent, definitely post-crucifixion, and by the way, stop steaming up the glass. I have to clean these things, you know. I said it before and I'll repeat it now, Broderick chuckled. You are one careless, clumsy, and irresponsible person. What is it with you and leaving expensive stuff sitting out for someone to just grab and run? First of all, Mr. Noetar, they have to know what it was they were stealing. Secondly... I store these as well as my other rare items in a large secure vault. Really? Is it inside a bank or hidden behind a secret wall? Actually, Madamona confessed with some embarrassment. I keep them locked in an old freezer in the back, but it is locked. Broderick looked at her with incredulity. Does the Federal Reserve know about this cutting-edge technology? Well, it's a huge padlock. Madame Ona was eager to get back to the matter at hand. Here, look at this, she said, removing a key from a lanyard around her neck and using it to unlock the front of the case. She removed a small wooden figurine that depicted the crucifixion. On it, a Roman soldier was piercing Jesus' side with a long spear. John the disciple, Mary Magdalene, and Jesus' mother were staring in disbelief, an expression of palpable despair etched on their upturned faces. The center of the figurine displayed an image of Jesus on the cross. 
His look was of intense sorrow and utter anguish. A marvelous piece, no? Madamona asked. What I'd really like is the wood from the actual cross of Christ to form a set with the bloodied crown and nails. That would bring together the touch of authenticity that I wish to convey. Then she held the carving up to Broderick's face. Now then, she said in a low and severe tone, the image of this figurine will better ensure your effectiveness. Focus on Jesus as he hangs on the cross. Imprint the image into your mind as indelibly as possible. When you get there, I need you at the foot of that cross, not an inch further. Don't get overwhelmed by what you are witnessing. It'll be difficult, but I need you to collect what I asked of you. Are you ready to do this? Yes, Broderick said with the cocksuredness that only an arrogant bully would wield. But remember, if you screw with me, I'll make good on that threat. In fact, if your mom's still living, you might want to call her. You know, just in case you both disappear into the ether. I'll remember, Mr. O'Connor. I assure you, it is at the forefront of my mind. Madamona handed Broderick back the stone. Now then, she said. Close your eyes and hold the talisman between your hands. Likewise, you'll need to be holding it in your hands to return here. I'm sure you know the rest of the drill. Ready or not, Broderick said, then started the process. He pushed aside everything that was cluttering his mind and focused his energy on the wooden figurine. It wasn't long before he smelled dusty air. The mix of soldier mockery and grieving women's wails echoed in his ears. He kept his eyes closed until he felt ready to act. From a distant place in his mind, Broderick heard Madamona's airy voice calling out to him. Keep your eyes closed a bit longer, Mr. O'Connor. You only have one chance to get this right. Reach out. Can you feel the wood? Touch the wood of the cross and feel a connection to it. Broderick took her instructions, reaching until he felt the hardness of wood. Soon, a burning, crushing, and indescribable pain blanketed his body. A sensation of sticky wetness was rolling down on him. A profound sadness gripped him, squeezing his soul. His confused and horrified mind understood what was happening. Broderick snapped his eyes open, expecting to be looking up at the twisted body hanging horrifically from the cross. That was not what he saw. Rather than looking up, he was glancing down at a man comforting a distressed woman. A younger woman with tears and dirt smearing her face was also present. To his left and right, he saw broken men on crosses. Breathing had become difficult, 
Every time Broderick slumped, his lungs compressed. Despite his efforts to straighten up, the thick nails securing his feet to the small platform only made him cry out more. His torment and terror intensified when he looked down again and saw a Roman soldier standing next to his cross with a long spear, gazing up at him like a vulture. Oh, God! Broderick said in a gasping, hoarse voice, saturated with raw fear. What did you do, woman? What did you do? I gotta get back. Broderick didn't remember stowing the talisman. Dressed only in a bloody, ragged loincloth, he wondered how he could have secured its safety. Was it still on him? The talisman. Where's the damn talisman? Then he thought of his hands. It had to be in the hand. The excruciating pain in Broderick's gored hands overwhelmed him, preventing him from feeling anything else. Screaming, he forced his right hand open to check if it was clutching the life-saving artifact. It wasn't there. Please, God, let it be in my other hand, Broderick begged. He agonizingly spread some fingers of his left hand and saw that they were grasping his ticket from this awful fate. Screw your wood, you piece of filth, he snarled through gritted teeth. If my hands aren't ripped to shreds when I get back, I'm gonna bitch slap you to another hemisphere. Oh yeah, and there's that party with your big sweet mama to enjoy as well. Broderick's sense of relief at having the talisman back soon turned to wide-eyed delirium as he remembered the most fundamental rule of teleportation. You must hold the stone in both hands, not one. He became a wild and helpless animal, thrashing and howling. His vain attempts at ripping his right hand free so he could cover the talisman proved futile. The full weight of his predicament hit him hard when he realized he had overlooked yet another important rule. If he failed to return within 10 minutes, he'd be trapped in the moment forever. A world without end, amen, he remembered. With a high-pitched wail that would have brought a grand feeling of glee to the stone's owner, poor Broderick hollered. But not for the last time. Back at the store, Madame Ona stared at the wooden figurine in her hand. Broderick's crucified image was forever etched into it, his contorted face a rictus of misery and excruciation. A look of sublime satisfaction spread across her own face as she began flipping the figurine from one hand to the other, just as Broderick had once done with the talisman. Yes, Broderick O'Connor. She beamed. This piece will add considerable worth to my collection. It was carved from a one-of-a-kind slab of wood from a specific cross. Whoops. And to think, I sent you back there for nothing. (laughs) 
Madame Mona carried the piece to the glass display cabinet where she kept the other impressive artifacts. She was fumbling for the key on her lanyard when a thought made her stop. I understand how valuable and rare you are. I should place you under lock and key, she told the man in the figurine. But you did say that I was careless, clumsy, and irresponsible. You did say that, right? Now let's see. Where to put you? Where to put you? Madamona pouted in concentration as she began surveying the sales floor. Once she settled on an appropriate spot, she sashayed to it. Walking down the aisle, she stopped to gaze at the shelf where she had displayed the talisman. As was its habit, it had returned to its home in the soft black cloth. Welcome back, she said. As for you, she said to the figurine, I think you'll go perfectly with some other items that I've sent some cunning folks back for. You should all get along fine. You have so much in common. Madamona smiled as she positioned the figurine alongside some other items on the shelf. One of them was a framed 5x9 black and white photo of a desperate man inches away from the gigantic dorsal fin of a shark. The image of a sinking battleship in the background called the USS Indianapolis was visible in the distance. Next to the photo was a small porcelain vase depicting an elderly woman writhing in agony within Dante's Inferno. And like the 30th short-haired man in the wooden figurine next to hers, she too was screaming. Madame Mona stepped back, admiring her collection. After a moment, she turned and went to her small cramped office at the rear of the store. A short time later, she heard the ringing of the small bell over the front door, signaling the arrival of a customer. A young woman entered the shop and began perusing the aisles. Her name was Blair, and she had a need. And that was Matamona's Shop of Curiosities by P.D. Williams. A good reminder to use your enchanted artifacts only as directed. A little about the author. P.D. Williams is an uncommonly handsome author, composer, and multi-instrumentalist from North Carolina. He'd like to remind everyone that his latest collection of short horror fiction, Dark House Many Rooms, is still available on Amazon and Audible. The audiobook was narrated by some of your well-known friends, Jeff Helpy Helperton Sturdivant, Paul J. Moosefucker McSorley, and yours truly, True Blood. For fans of his redneck horror comedy series starring Craig and Lorna Wankamoff, a bundle of their first three adventures will be available in late February at the online stores I just mentioned. The newest entry in the collection, Craig's Sea Terror, will be released at the same time as a novella, if you'd like a book discount code for any of his works or just to say howdy, 
You can reach PD at PD Williams Horror Writer at Facebook.com and on his website, PDWilliamsAuthor.com. Thanks, PD. And do old Drew Blood a favor, would you? Subscribe to his podcast wherever you do your listening and leave him a five-star review and a kind word, even if you're listening on YouTube. He needs soldiers on all fronts to win this battle, and he appreciates it. To hear a premium ad-free edition of tonight's and all the other episodes, visit simplyscarypodcast.com today and click Patrons in the upper menu. You'll find yourself at ChillinTalesForDarkNights.com, where you can become a patron for as little as $5 per month and get access to their entire audio archive, all ad-free and available to download or stream. Thank you for your time and for supporting our sponsors. When you support our sponsors, you support this show. If you happen to use Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, or YouTube, you can follow and subscribe to Chillin' Tales for Dark Nights there, where you'll get all the latest updates and new releases and have the chance to interact with them each and every week. Oh, and you can find Drew Blood on Facebook and Instagram, and sometimes Twitter. The Drew Blood's Dark Tales podcast is accepting submissions, friend. If you've got a story or two you'd like to be featured on the show, send it to drewbloodhorror at gmail.com. If selected, you'll get the full treatment, 10 bananas. Well, I'm afraid this is where we part ways, at least till next week. So grab a drink for the road, friend. You too, Billy. I know you're listening. Let's finish this. A big shout out to all the listeners and all my friends out there, all the sweet patrons, and I'd just like to say I hope everyone has a wonderful week. So may the wind be at your back, and may the road rise up to meet you. And until next week, Billy, I've got my leotard ready at a moment's notice, and all the rest of you can go fuck yourselves. (laughs) I'm sorry. Good night, y'all. Angie has made it easier than ever to connect with skilled professionals to get all your jobs projects done well. If you own a home, you know how much work it can take, whether it's everyday maintenance and repairs or making dream projects a reality. It can be hard just to know where to start, but now all you need to do is Angie that and find a skilled local pro who will deliver the quality and expertise you need. Angie has over 20 years of home service experience and they've combined it with new tools to simplify the whole process. Bring them your project online or with the Angie app, answer a few questions, and Angie can handle the rest from start to finish or help you compare quotes from multiple pros and connect instantly, which means you can take care of just about any home project in just a few taps. Because when it comes to getting the most out of your home, you can do this when you Angie that. Download the free Angie mobile app today or visit Angie.com. That's A-N-G-I dot com. Angie's list is now Angie, and we've heard a lot of theories about why. I thought it was an eco-move. Fewer words, less paper. No, it was so you could say it faster. No, it's to be more iconic. Must be a tech thing. 
But those aren't quite right. It's because now you can compare upfront prices, book a service instantly, and even get your project handled from start to finish. Sounds easy. It is. And it makes us so much more than just a list. Get started at Angie.com. That's A-N-G-I. Or download the app today.